Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for your magnificent wisdom, your glory and your majesty. God, we pray that you would fill us now with the Holy Spirit as we open your word and we pray that we would learn wisdom from you and that we would walk in wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're doing a sermon series here where we're going through the book of Proverbs. We're not going through every verse here from the pulpit, although I do want to challenge you to read every verse. So we, we still have time. We still have some weeks left in this Proverbs sermon series. And if you haven't yet read the book of Proverbs, I want to challenge you to do that in the coming days and weeks. Uh, I would even challenge you, if you could, to read through it two times. Uh, Also, if you pick out some favorite verses, please feel free to send those along to me. I have a couple of them in my sermon today that were sent from some of you, uh, some of your favorites. Now, overall, the, the theme of this sermon series is that we should be lifelong seekers of wisdom. Wisdom is not something that we just get at a moment and then assume that we have enough of it, so we just go on our own way. No, wisdom is something that we should keep learning from God. God leads us in ways that are good. That's the correct path to go on. The, the other path would be where we, we assume that we have what we need to go on our, on our own. So I, I want us to be humble people who recognize our need to continue to seek wisdom from God. Now, one of the ways that Proverbs talks about wisdom is by using the analogy of body parts, hence the the sermon series here, good for the body, good for the soul. Although I wanted to show you a a New Testament verse that might also help you understand what I'm thinking when I talk about good for the body, good for the soul. Look at Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual act of worship. Isn't that kind of interesting? We offer our bodies, the the very parts of our bodies, we are to to use our bodies the way that God wants us to, and in doing so, we are offering to him spiritual worship. So our bodies play an important role as we walk with God. So far in our Proverbs series, we have looked at our brains, our hearts, and our ears. Today, we are going to look at our hands and our feet. Our hands and our feet. One of the ways that we can understand the importance of our body is to think about what happens when our bodies aren't working the way that they are supposed to. Let's take the feet, for example. Here is a diagram of something called plantar fasciitis, something that I have been struggling with for over a month now. Uh, There is connective tissue on the bottom of your foot that you don't really notice until it flares up. And when it flares up, it kind of feels like somebody has drilled a hole in the bottom of your heel. So uh, I I think it's getting better now, but I am still struggling with it. So I, I notice my foot a lot, and it, it, it stops me from doing things that I would normally like to do. Or think what would happen if you had a broken finger, and whether you had to cast it, or just put it in a splint, or if you just tucked it out and didn't do anything with it, that would, that would hinder you from doing things that you would want to do. Now, on the positive side of things, thinking about how our bodies don't work the way that we want them to, think about the, the wisdom of God in, in creating us the way that he wanted to. And yes, we understand that, that due to the fall, due to the curse that came on sin in Genesis 3, we'll talk about that a little bit, that, that our body parts don't work the way that we think they should. But in his wisdom, God has, has given us body parts. And in his wisdom, in the book of Proverbs, he has told us how those body parts can help us understand the wisdom that he wants us to walk in. So today we're going to take a look specifically at what it says about our hands and our feet. I have two main points today. Our first main point is that God gave us hands so we can work. 
God gave us hands so we can work. The key verse for this part of my sermon is Proverbs 10.4, which says, Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Now, as I've said before in this sermon series, the kind of wealth that we're talking about in Proverbs is not the give-me-whatever-I-want sort of wealth. No, the, the kind of wealth that we're talking about in Proverbs, I think, is the kind of wealth where we're able to provide for ourselves and for our families and for the poor and the needy around us. We can see this by looking at the next verse, Proverbs 10.5. It says, He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. So when I say that we're not talking about the give me whatever kind of wealth I want, we can understand from verse 5 that um, people who have get-rich-quick schemes, they usually don't go into farming, do they? Farming is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It is a work-hard do the planting, do the tending, do the harvesting, and in general, you will be provided for. Now, of course, we can talk about times when the crops didn't grow the way that they should, and uh, there's good years and there's bad years, depending on the prices and all of that. But in general, the, the hardworking farmer is able to provide for himself and for his family, and God has set it up that way. So, like it says in verse 5, he who gathers crops in summer is a wise son. There is wisdom in knowing when to work. So, there's a very simple contrast here. As we go back to verse 4, as I've said before, contrast is one of the main teaching tools in the book of Proverbs. So often you read through even just one individual verse, and it'll give you one side of the story in the first half of the verse, and the other side of the story in the second half of the verse. And that's what we have here. We have a contrast between lazy hands and diligent hands. Now, as is the case with many Proverbs, you can find an exception to the rule. Uh, you can probably find a lazy person who won the lottery, or a hard-working person who is having a hard time making ends meet. Um, although, let me say this. If you're going to be poor, don't let it be because you're lazy. Okay? That, that would be one of the things that Proverbs would teach us. And, and let me just take a side note here, actually. There, there are two ways that I understand the book of Proverbs. There are two uh, kind of overarching tips for understanding the book of Proverbs. One is that they are general rules for life. So again, Generally speaking, those who work hard are those who are able to provide for themselves. And those who are lazy, they're the ones who have, who have needs. Um, so general rules, that's what Proverbs teaches us. And then the second tip I have for understanding Proverbs is that we should keep in mind the whole context of the book of Proverbs as we look at each individual proverb. So we don't just pick one of them out of context and, and apply it to whatever we want to. We, we should really remember all of Proverbs as we're looking at each individual verse. So, even if a lazy person wins the lottery, we could go to other verses and, and see that their wealth won't be blessed because that's not the way that God does it. Um, on, and on the flip side, we could look at the hard-working person and see that even if they don't win the lottery, and they probably wouldn't go to the lottery because they don't need to because they know that God is going to provide for them, and they work hard, and they have contentment and joy and peace because God created us to work like that and when we trust in him, God blesses us in those ways. So again, it's not the whatever I want sort of wealth. It's really, in many ways, we could say it's the fruit of the Spirit. That as we walk in wisdom with God, he will bless us with love and joy and peace and all those good things. So a wise person, like the one in verse 5, will know when it is time to work hard. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son. <coughs> But lazy people don't follow that rule and they suffer the consequences for it. 
Proverbs has some verses, some of them are even comical, I think, about the lazy person. Here's one of them. In 1924, it says, the sluggard, that's another name for the lazy person, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. Oh, he's so hungry. The food is right there in his hand, and he's so lazy, he won't even bring it to his mouth. Or here's another one, 21-25. The sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. The theologian Derek Kidner said, the sluggard lives in his world of wishing, which is his substitute for working. So some people get caught in the trap of daydreaming, and all they do is daydream, and they never get to work. Instead of putting effort in, they, they lay around and they wait for their provision to come to them. Now again, on the opposite end of that spectrum are the diligent. These are the people who are eager to work. They are willing to work. And they trust that God will provide for them as they work. In fact, in Proverbs 21:26, so that's the verse right after the sluggard and his craving, it talks about how the, the righteous are able to give to the poor. The idea there is that as we work hard, we trust that God will provide for us, and part of the blessing that he gives to us is the ability to bless others as we see the needs that they have as well. And that brings me back to chapter 10. We already looked at verses 4 through 5. Now let's look at verse 3. It says, The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Now, when we work, we might be tempted to think that we have done that all on our own. And don't get me wrong, we, we should work hard. We should value hard work. But we should also remember God's sovereignty behind it, that he provides us with work so that he can provide for us. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. So when God gives you work to do, and when you have money to pay the bills and put food on your table, the glory for that goes to God. And I, and I love the way that this all works together. See, God is providing for us as we work. Let me say that again. God is providing for us as we work. He has given us the ability to work and the opportunity to work. And, and when we gain from it, that gain comes from Him. So the general rule in life is that we should work hard and trust that God will provide for us. Now as part of that, let me suggest that work comes first. And we can go all the way back to Genesis 1 for that. What did God do? He worked for six days and then he rested. The work came first. Here, here's an illustration of that and I'll talk to you kids on this one. At our house this summer, we have a new chore chart. See, our, our kids got done with school and summertime is just a time for sleeping in and doing nothing, right? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong answer. So, Christine came up with a chore chart. So all of our kids, we have this on our fridge, so each, each of the four kids has two columns. There's a to-do list and there's a done list. And then each of the kids has either three or four magnets, depending on the age of the kids. And on each magnet is a job. So when they do their job that's on the to-do list, for example, clean the dishes, they, they do it, they can move it to the done list. And when they get all their magnets to the done side of things, then they can have their time for, for playing and for, or for enjoyment or for a treat or whatever it might be that day. But the work comes first. Or now let's talk about adults. In the last chapter of Proverbs, there's this beautiful section, um, and we'll, we'll talk about this one later in our Proverbs series, but it's, it's about the wife of noble character, or some translations call her the excellent wife. And I want to show you today her opinion of work. And, and by the way, uh, she is not just an example for women, she is an example for men as well in the way that she works. Look at her attitude towards work in 31.13. She selects wool and flax 
and works with eager hands. Isn't that great? Eager hands. Or in verse 20, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Again, one of the reasons that God gives us work is so that we can be a blessing to those around us. And this wife of, of what is it called? The wife of, wife of noble character, she takes care of her family, but she doesn't stop there. She also extends her hands to the needy and helps them as well. What a great example, again. See, we could even take it one step further. We started with kids, and then we, we talked about adults. Let's, let's go one step even further up, and we'll, we'll talk about God. And we were created in the image of God, and we know that God works. And Jesus even said that God is still at work. Look at this one in John 5.17. He said, My Father is always at his work to this very day. God is still at work in our world, drawing people to Jesus, sustaining the world, providing opportunities for us to do meaningful things. God is at work. And since, since we were created in the image of God, we should work too. So think about our hands in that regard. God gave us hands so that we can work. Our hands can build things. They can write. They can make art. They can, they can show love to other people. They can serve other people. God gave us our hands so that we could do things that reflect His glory in this world. Oftentimes we're tempted to think that work is a bad thing or perhaps a necessary evil. In fact, you know what word association games are? You say a word and then the other person says a word that just pops into their mind right after it. I bet if we were to go to the streets and, and do word association games with people and we were to say to them, necessary evil, I bet a lot of them would say work. I bet a lot of people in this world, and probably including us, were tempted this way as well, well sometimes they think, oh man, I've got to do my work so that I can do the other stuff that I want to do. We treat work sometimes like it's a necessary evil. Let me, let me attempt to change that way of thinking here. And the way I want to do that is I want to go back to Genesis again. Remember that God gave Adam work to do in the Garden of Eden before sin entered in the world? So in Genesis 3 is where sin entered the world, but in Genesis 2, when it was just Adam, so I, I think what we see here also applies to Eve as well, but this, this specific part of it happened before Eve was created. But in Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Before sin was in the world, God gave Adam work to do. Did, did Adam think, oh man, necessary evil, I've got to do this. So I, no, work was a joy. God gave him purpose and meaning in the work that he had to do. Now, yes, that got uh, injured by the fall, by the curse, by sin in, in Genesis 3. That's where sin entered the world. And as a punishment, God made our work more difficult. So I think that's why we struggle with it. But then let's go to the, the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 3. It says, No longer will there be any curse. So praise the Lord for that part right there. That curse that came and messed up so many things, it was, it was God's punishment on us for our sin, but that curse will be taken away in heaven. And then look what it says. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. We're going to serve God in heaven. There, there's a parable where Jesus talks about the work that can be done in heaven. Um, there's lots of, if you're looking closely for it, you, throughout the Bible you'll see these hints of meaningful work that we will have to do in heaven. And it won't be a burden. It'll, it'll be a joy. I was uh, 
kind of daydreaming about that one day, and I thought, I wonder if God would let me design a bridge to go over the river of life. Now, I don't know if that's at all what is going to be the sort of thing that we will do in heaven. But I just thought, boy, that would be a neat thing to do in heaven if I could serve God in that way. I don't know what it's going to be, but I know that it's going to be a joy. So, let's, I talked about what happened before sin. I talked about what happened in heaven after sin is all taken care of. What about right now? Well, I think that we should carry with us this attitude that God created us to work, and yes, it's difficult. That, that's where the curse comes in, that um, the, the ground produces thorns and thistles, and it, it's difficult. Whatever work we have, there's going to be some difficulty in it, and God understands that, but God will also strengthen us for it. And in our work right now, I think that we can have some of that joy, some of that joy that Adam had before sin came into the world, some of that joy that will be ours in heaven. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that part of that means is that we should have joy in our work. So I want to encourage you all. As you go from here, like, I don't like this idea that sometimes we come to church and like, oh, finally, this is the way, you know, I can worship God the way I want to, but then I have to go back to work. No, how about this? This is just like a halftime pep talk here. And you are to go out and do that important stuff that God gave you to do the rest of the week. And you know what you can do? You can worship God as you do it. Whether you're changing diapers at home or cooking a meal or whatever it is you do at your work, you can do it to honor God. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That transforms our work into worship. So God gave us these hands so that we could work, so that we could honor him with our work, so that we could do productive things in this world to show his glory. So my application question here, how's your attitude toward work? How's your attitude toward work? Is it a necessary evil? Or is it something that God has given you that you might have purpose in this world? Is it something that you can do for his glory? We'll be tempted in this life to get out of work. But work is a good thing. Wise people see the value in good, hard, honest work. Now, believe me, I usually don't quote Hollywood actors in my sermons. They're not usually my go-to people for theology. But on this note, it reminded me of something Ashton Kutcher said about work. He said, Go work until you can get the job you want to have. He's kind of combating this idea of, oh, I wish that my dream job would just fall into my lap without me having to do anything. And I like this attitude of, let's just open our eyes to the opportunities that God has given us today, and let's do good work in that. And even remember the parables in the Bible. What did God do for the people who showed that they were faithful in a few things? He gave them responsibility over even more things. So let's be faithful in whatever work God has for us to do. However mundane it might feel, however unimportant it might feel, it's not unimportant if you do it to serve and honor and glorify God. So, are you a hard worker? And then one other thing I want to say, right along these lines of hard work, let's talk about spiritual work. Let's talk about the spiritual harvest that that God is preparing. God, all over the world, is drawing people to Jesus. Now, how does that happen? It happens, he's told us in the Word, as his gospel message is proclaimed, as disciples are made, as those of us who already know Jesus proclaim the gospel message to those who don't know Jesus, and as we help younger believers grow up in their faith. God is producing a spiritual harvest. Now, what are we to be? Hardworking farmers, right? That's the analogy. 
Um, are disciples going to be made if we never proclaim the gospel? Are disciples going to be made if we never get to work helping younger believers grow in their faith? Don't assume that disciples are going to be made as you lay down on your couch. Now, I like laying down on my couch. I do. But I also want to be the wise son who works in harvest time. So let's get out there and proclaim the gospel message and let's make disciples. A wise son gathers crops in summer. All right, let's move on now to our second point. This one is about our feet. Now, admittedly, when we talk about feet in the book of Proverbs, it's a metaphor. So with our hands, it's literally, use your hands to work. But now, as we talk about our feet, it's a metaphor. And the, meta- the, the main point here for number two is we should walk in wisdom. And the key verses here for walking in wisdom, chapter 4, verses 26 through 27. Make level paths, or it could be translated, consider the paths for your feet, and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. When I see these verses, I'm reminded of what John the Baptist said when he was quoting Isaiah 40. He said, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And then later on he said, The crooked roads shall become straight. Now John the Baptist's message was about repentance. And Jesus later affirmed John the Baptist's message. So this all fits in beautifully with this idea of two paths that we've been talking a lot about during this Proverbs series. There are only two paths. There's the path of wisdom. That's what we have on the one hand. That's the path that God wants us to go on. And on the other side, we have the way of our own choosing. Now, it might feel like there's all sorts of different paths that are open to us, but I really think we can boil it down to these two paths. There's the one that God wants for us, and there's the one that God doesn't want for us. There's the one that God wants for us, and there's the one that we, in our sinful desires, would be tempted to go on. Now, if we take that path, the wrong path, all we're doing is, is we're living according to our own desires. And think about that. So many people in this world, they see no problem with that. Sure, just go ahead. Pick that path that you want. Go find it. Go get it. Well, what's the problem with that path? The problem is that we don't know what's best. The problem is, if we're going to rely on our own wisdom, that that's not really wisdom at all. So we need to be continually seeking wisdom. That's why it's so important for us to consider our paths and to take only ways that are firm. We are not to swerve to the right or to the left. That phrase there, that first one in verse 27, it's a common theme in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 5.32 says, So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. And then oftentimes in the Old Testament, when they wanted to applaud somebody for walking rightly with the Lord, they used this idea. In 2 Chronicles 34.2, talking about King Josiah, it says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. So, getting back to our verses in Proverbs chapter 4, we see that we are not to swerve to the right or to the left. We are to keep our feet from evil. So, it's the language of a path, and a path obviously implies a journey. So much of this Christian life can be described according to this journey on a path analogy. And one of the things that our verses in Proverbs 4 highlights is that we are to get on and stay on the right path. We are to take only ways that are firm. We are to avoid evil. God leads us in ways that are good, and when we stick with him, he leads us into what is good and right and just and fair. Our path will be level. It doesn't mean that our path is always going to be easy. 
For any of you who have been walking on that path, you know it's not always easy to follow God. But we know that His strength is with us when we are on that path, when we're humbling ourselves before Him. God will supply all that we need. And again, I want to look at this two-path analogy. We've, we've done this before, but I really want to hammer this point in over this sermon series. That I want to look at the gospel according to this idea of two paths. So let's be very clear about this. We get on the right path by receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. And then once we're on the path, we keep walking with Jesus as our Lord. So we were all on the wrong path at one time. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what it means to be on that wrong path, is that we're sinning. We're rebelling against God. We're falling short of His glory. It's not what He wants for us. So how do we get off of that path? It's what John the Baptist said, repentance. We turn from our own ways and we embrace God in the ways that he has for us. And as we do that, we recognize our sin and we ask Jesus to cleanse us from it. That's what it means for him to be our savior. That, that he saves us from that path that would lead to death. He cleanses us from our sins. But as we receive Jesus as our savior, like we say here so often, we are also to receive Jesus as our Lord, our master. And as our master, he is the one who directs us on this new path. So as we go from one path to the other, we're really giving up that, that part of us that would be in control of our own lives. And we give that to Jesus Christ to submit to him as our Lord. And from there, th- that's all supposed to happen, that, that moment we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And from there, we keep submitting to him. So I like to think of it this way. If I gave my life to Jesus, if I recognized that I was on the wrong path, I wanted to be on that path, he would save me and cleanse me if I gave my life to him. So I gave my life to him. Now I'm walking on that path. Does my life still belong to him? Or have I, have I veered off of that path? Now what do we do? If, if the answer is yes, oh, whoops, I have veered off of that path, that's where repentance comes in again. And we come back quickly to that path. A couple of quotes here. First one is from a theologian named Raymond Ortland. He says, We take it one step at a time with constant, moment-by-moment recommitment to the way of Christ. I love that idea of constant, moment-by-moment recommitment. If he's our Lord, we are constantly, constantly submitting our ways to him, humbling ourselves before him and saying, It's your way and not my way. And then there's another one. It's become a favorite quote of mine, and I've said it here before. Some of you have said it's one of your favorites as well. It's from a colleague of mine named Ron Burgett. He was the free church pastor in Alexandria. Now he's a missionary to people in Southeast Asia. Uh, But he said this, The best that I have been able to do is to have a walk where I circle back more quickly and then drift off less often as well. And I love that. If you're hiking and, and you get off the path, what should you do? Should you, should you keep going on the, the wrong direction? No, you get back as quickly as you can. Get back as quickly as you can. And if you're on the path, you stay on that path. Now, in our walk with Christ, this implies a constant need to learn wisdom from God. He, he, I don't know if, you're, if it's the same for you. I'm guessing it is. God doesn't show you everything all at once. We need to keep seeking him day after day. I think that's why he talks about our daily bread. That we are to wake up every morning and and continue to recommit our lives to him again. And our feet can help us in that by staying pointed in the right direction. Proverbs 4, 13-15 says, Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. 
Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. That instruction there in verse 13, that's the same word I mentioned before that means reproof, rebuke, correction, discipline. It's not always a pleasant word, but the idea is if we're going to stay on this path, we have to. We have to be humble enough to recognize that sometimes we don't do it right. And if we haven't done it right, then we just go humbly before God and say, I'm sorry. Would you cleanse me again? And he does. He does. Now that, that correction, that might come as you read God's word and you say, oh boy, my life does not line up with what God's word has said. That correction might come as you're praying and God taps you on the heart and says, hey, would you consider what you've been doing that's not right? That correction might come from a friend or a spouse or somebody else who points out to you that something's not right in your life. And I just want to urge you again, listen to that correction. Listen to advice and accept instruction. And in the end, you will be wise. I think that's Proverbs 19.20. By the way, Proverbs are like the hardest verses in the Bible for me to memorize. So uh, it's been fun for me to do this series and try to get a few of them under my belt. But if we're going to stay on the path, we need constant instruction because we don't always have it right. There's the way of the wicked and there's the way of the righteous. And I want to be on the way of the righteous because the Lord watches over that. But the way of the wicked will perish. That's Psalm 1.6. So tune your heart to listen to the warning signs. So I, I like to think of it this way. I'm going on this path. God wants me to be on this path. The Holy Spirit inside of me leads me on that path. As I get off of that path, there's going to be warning signs. God, is, in his mercy, is going to let us know that something is not right. Uh, somebody in the congregation sent me a favorite verse in Proverbs has to do with this idea here. Proverbs 27.12 The prudent see danger and take refuge. So the prudent, they're walking on that path and if they get ever so slightly off, they're going to hear the warning signs, warning signs and they take refuge. Where do they take refuge? In Christ. But look at the next part of this verse. The simple keep going and suffer for it. So if the simple person, let, let's say they're, they're walking on the path and then they get off the path, they're going to keep going in the wrong direction. It's not a compliment in Proverbs to be simple. I, you know, I, I like having, keeping things simple sometimes, but in the book of Proverbs, being simple is not a compliment. It's those who are not willing to listen to God's wisdom. So wise people will listen. Whenever we start to stray off that path, what do we do? We circle back as quickly as we can with repentance, with humility, with hearts that are ready to learn wisdom from God. So, application point here, get on and stay on the path of wisdom. And as we walk on this path, we need to know <coughs> we don't always do it right. So let's be humble enough to go before God, confess our sins, and keep learning wisdom from Him. That means constantly submitting to God's ways, meeting with Him in His Word, that means constantly talking to God. And if you're ever unsure if you're doing something that's, that's not right in His eyes, just talk to Him. Talk to other people about it. Learn wisdom as you do those things. Get on and stay on the path of wisdom. And then the conclusion, God directs us on the path of wisdom. Now, I, I recognize that that sounds painfully obvious at this point, but uh, please know that in life we will be tempted to pick our own path. We will be tempted to direct ourselves. But I want you to see that God directs us on a path of wisdom. I want to show you two verses on this. 
Proverbs 16.9, again, this was a favorite verse that was sent in to me by somebody. It says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And then Proverbs 28.26, He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. So taken together, those two verses remind us that God leads us. God is the one who determines our steps. We might think that we're pretty hot stuff, that we're in control, but God is the one who determines our steps. I read one theologian who said that that word determines in this verse could also be translated as overrules. And I don't quite know how all of that works. I believe that God gives us free will, but I also believe that God is sovereign enough to step in and and to determine our steps. And overall what that means is that we serve a God who's in control and we are never to pretend to be the Lord of our own lives. That's why we submit to Jesus and his lordship. Don't try to direct your own path. Submit to God's path. And then that verse 26, he who trusts in himself is a fool. The world doesn't see it that way. The world tells us to, you know, like I said a couple of weeks ago, listen to your heart. The world tells us, oh yeah, just go and get what you want. As long as you're not hurting anybody, just go and do what you want to do. Well, guess what? That's not God's way. That's not God's way. He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. That reminds me of what I think are my two favorite verses in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Do you see the, the contrast there? Don't trust in yourself. Trust in God. Rely on Him. And then verse 6, In all your ways know Him and He will make your paths straight. So again, we're talking about our our feet here today. Put your feet on the path that God has for you. Know him in all of your ways. Keep learning wisdom from him. Use your feet to point you in the right direction. And as you're walking on that path, use your hands to do the work that God has prepared for you to do. I love to think of this idea that God has prepared good works in advance for us to walk around in. That's Ephesians 2.10. We are God's masterpiece, his, his workmanship, his work of art. That's what we are and he's prepared good things for us to do. Let's use our hands to honor and glorify God as we work, as we serve him. The wise person will see that God's ways are best. It's not always the easiest way, but it is the best way, and it's a life that will lead to love and joy and peace and contentment and eventually eternal life. God will pour out his blessings on us as we walk on him on the way of wisdom. God gave us our hands and feet. Let's use them in our lifelong quest for wisdom. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your wisdom in creation, for your wisdom in giving us hands and feet. We pray that we would use our hands to honor you. Help us to see the work that you have prepared for us. And I pray that we wouldn't shy away from that work, that we wouldn't see work as a, as a necessary evil, but that we would see it as something that you have ordained and, and blessed us with so that we can serve you. Help us to work hard and to be a blessing to those around us. And God, we pray that we would use our feet to walk on the path of wisdom, that we would never stray from it. And God, if we ever do stray, we pray that we would listen to your warnings, your instruction, wherever that comes from, that we would listen to your instruction and that we would come back quickly. And God, we pray from there that we would honor you by constantly walking on that path that you have for us, the path of wisdom. God, may we give you honor and glory by the way that we live our lives for you and with you and in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.